e-longevity, bringing space, crypto, and longevity science discussion to the masses. Welcome. We're happy that you're here. Welcome to the e-longevity podcast, everyone. We're back again. This is our flagship effort to bring e-longevity to the masses. I'm your host, codenamed Lou, uh, early Discord admin and Dojo Don lover. And as usual, let's introduce our co-host, Britannia00. Hello, um, Britannia00. Um, 17 years of healthcare experience, um, consulting in the biotech world, in the neurology space. I've been a Dogalon holder since March or May of 2021, and I'm super excited about today's uh, podcast. I am too. So today we have a very special guest, serial entrepreneur, managing partner at Quadroscope Venture Fund, Miss Fiona Miller. So Fiona, how are you feeling today? Feeling great. And thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's our pleasure. Where are you uh, based out of? I am near Boston. Okay, gotcha. Now I noticed that there's an accent. So just for those who may not know, those who are internationally listening to our podcast, can you tell us a little bit about your story, where your accent comes from, please? My accent is Russian. I was born and uh, grew up in Odessa, Ukraine, which is now in the news, not in a good way, unfortunately. Mm. And my family managed to leave. Um, somehow we crossed the Iron Curtain and got out back in 1973. And we moved to Israel right in the middle of the war of 1973. Stayed there uh, for a few months, and my parents decided to make their way to America. So we uh, lived in Europe, and then we got to New York in 1975, where I got finished high school and went to college at Columbia, and then came to Boston for my first job. And back when I came here to Boston, we still had a very healthy high-tech industry until uh, the Bay Area formed the Silicon Valley and, and basically sucked all of our high-tech uh, companies out to the West Coast. Uh, and my, my, last, my last company must have been one of the last holdover high-tech companies here, but uh, in its place we got uh, a lot of biotech uh, development. So now Boston is more of a biotech hub, one of the premier biotech hubs in the world. As we're starting to see, our last uh, guest, Kyle Landry, he's located in Boston as well, too. And we really appreciated his work in the longevity space. But uh, growing up in, uh, you know, under or behind the Iron Curtain, was it an aspirational goal of yours to get into the biotech field or to get into the technology field at all? Actually, I wasn't thinking of technology until I started my first year of college. And uh, Computer science was a very young field at the time. There was not, not even a computer science department at the school, and we had big mainframes and card readers in the computer center. And I just got, I, I went to study liberal arts, actually, and, uh, and I took a computer science course, and I was hooked. And then I decided to study electrical engineering. So I got two degrees, one in computer science, one in electrical engineering. And I did actually quite a bit of work on Wall Street while going to school, writing software, developing software for 
the, the broker brokerage firms in the stock market. That was before we had any software uh, in in the stock market. So I was programming these this first mini computer, PDP-11, that was uh, a point of fascination for all the brokers. And I was able to print out at the end of the day all the option yield reports, which they've had to do manually until then. And so that's how I started my, my tech career. And basically, I decided I've had enough of Wall Street by the time I finished college, and I really wanted to do real engineering. And so I uh, took my electrical engineering degree, came to Boston, and joined Teradyne, the first test equipment company um, I worked for. And I, I ended up most of my career doing test and measurement product development and then ventures later on. I mean, that's an interesting roadmap for sure. Um, so let's talk about your tech background. There's some things that I, I saw as I was researching you. Azimuth, Octoscope, and Spirant. So how did those three ventures come about? So um, for Azimuth, it was my first uh, company where I raised venture money to, uh, I, I raised six million dollars back in 2002 and if you recall that period that was right after the 2001 bubble burst on tech and mm. it was a very bad year to raise money and even with the small raise that i made it i i was uh, one of top 10 <laughs> funded companies that year and uh, we basically developed uh, test systems for wireless testing. Uh, and um, I, was uh, I was a CTO at that company. And the venture um, folks wanted a professional CEO. And uh, I was an engineer and engineering manager, VP of engineering prior to that. And so I ended up uh, in a te technical role at Asimov. And after five years of being the chief technical officer there, I decided to move on and have more of my own uh, company. And I left Azimuth to start Octoscope. And Octoscope was started in my basement. I basically said, well, I'm not going to raise venture money again. And I started it as a consulting company. Uh, I was joined by two co-founders, and we developed the product together in my basement. And the first system shipped out of my basement, and then <laughs> investors approached me and say, and, you know, do you need any money? And I said, well, we could use some money. And we took a, a, a small investment and used it to start production and moved out of my basement and, and uh, started production and for, formed our own factory and started shipping our systems. And then the business started growing and it was growing very fast in, in so fast that um, I've had to really learn a lot on the job very quickly. I was, this, I was running the company and there were three of us at first and I did much of the work myself. And then all of a sudden, it was like instant engagement with the market. And 
I felt like, you know, in these cowboy movies, the, the horse is dragging you and you're trying to get up off the ground and you can't. And it was the, it was, it felt like that. And, and it occurred to me that this is just not going to work. I just, I need to focus on building the team. And so that was, I dug up all the business books and, and uh, learned what I could about team building and delegating and multiplying and, and agile method. And, and so I had to really uh, kind of like read a lot of business books. So kind of like getting an MBA on the job while trying to uh, get, you know, keep the company running. It was a good problem to have. And so we became successful our test system thanks to my co-founders who did a really tremendous job on the technology. Uh, in the, there was a sophisticated machine with a lot of instruments and sensors. It, it emulated real-life environment for wireless products. There was a lot of complexity to it. But it became an industry standard, and it was used by all the operators, Verizon, AT&T, uh, Orange, and all the European operators, all the U.S. operators, even in Israel we sold it. Uh, to Bezek, and, uh, and then all the entire supply chain, equipment vendors, chipset vendors used it. It became kind of the standard system to test wireless devices like phones, access points, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, so we did well there and sold the company. Spirant approached us. It's a, it's a British public company and uh, offered to acquire Octoscope and so I sold it to them, um, my, my, my majority holding, and um, everybody on the team did well too, and because the team owned 90% of the company, so we all did well. And, uh, and that's uh, basically my tech career. But, uh, but I actually got interested in, in longevity. I, I want to say five or six years ago, before I sold Octoscope to Spiron. We're going to get into your, your longevity pivot for sure. Just, just, I want to, we covered so much just now. First of all, incredible story. Um, I really respect your entrepreneurial spirit. I want to just ask about that for a moment. And as you were speaking in 2002, when the tech bubble burst, I was just graduating elementary school. So I didn't have a chance to, to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a chance to get involved with it, unfortunately. Um, but it's incredible to hear, though, the parallel of lives, pe what people were doing at that time. You know, it's, it really, really is incredible that you capitalize on that time as well. Britt? Yeah. Um, go ahead. Were we going to say something, Fiona? No, please, go ahead. Well, I mean, actually, I was interested in, in her journey into uh, Quadroscope and how that came about from Octoscope. Um, so I was, that's where I was interested in, in the next part, Fiona, if you'd like to share that. And sure. how you did get into the longevity space. So I was a busy executive and running Octoscope and mm -hmm. uh, I started doing well, the team got built and, and then all of a sudden I, I had a little time to breathe and, and lift my head. And I, it, I was already in my, 50s, I want to say mid to late 50s at the time, and I and it just occurred to me out of 
no, nowhere just occurred to me that some disease is going to happen to me. And at the time, I still didn't see any of, there was no data, no, I didn't have any of those exponential curves in front of my face showing me how likely I am to die over age, you know, the, uh, the curves that show you the probability of catching uh, a nature-related disease and dying. And, but it, I just was, it just seemed obvious that something's going to happen. And I was thinking, well, um, I wouldn't know what to do if, I mean, I'm an electrical engineer. Electrical engineering is not going to help me. And doctors are just going to tell me, well, you're old and this is normal and let's go get you a wheelchair or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I, it just wasn't uh, interesting to me. So I started, I said, okay, I mean, basically I'm going to start learning about how my body works. And I went back to chemistry, something I hated in college. But I, all of a sudden, I found I really liked it. And I, I was studying online every morning. I would do my lesson and tests and all that. And I, I just started taking life sciences, uh, chemistry, biology, um, how to read white. And I started reading papers. And, and I uh, came across this new industry, which is focusing on keeping us young instead of getting old and getting a disease. And so that was much more interesting to me than preparing for some horrible disease. I said, well, this is a much better deal. Why don't I just start learning about staying young? And, uh, and, and so that I, I started attending conferences, you know, Lifespan.io and ARDD and, and reading and learning. And after my exit, from Octoscope, I had the money and started investing as an angel. And I invested close to four million of my own money into 10 companies. And I started seeing, uh, like you were saying, Ashley, earlier, I started seeing so much great science. And it's real science. We have a lot of material that my partner and I developed and we presented conferences going back to the turn of the century and a bunch of Nobel Prizes, which basically define what a science breakthrough is. And now we have, we've mapped them all to actual companies that are bringing treatments to market based on all of our understanding of aging over the last two decades. And it's amazing to me how general population is just not aware of how far the science has come and how well we actually understand aging at this point and how close we are to some significant treatments to to be available to people like you. I have a question about that actually. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think longevity science and not just the science but our progression, how close we are to actually solving some of these, you know, aging issues. Why do you think more people don't know about it? Because scientists are not good at spreading that knowledge. I think we, uh, as a science community, needs to get better at marketing and communicating all that in the, in the way that people can understand. Uh, and creating documentary, doing what you folks are doing, the podcasts, where we can actually translate all of that. Um, 
to the language people can understand. But I think it's starting to happen. It may be just a natural lag. And now we see mainstream media pick up articles. Uh, Jeff Bezos invested three billions. Now we have Sam Altman, uh, who's made the news with chat GPT. And, and even though he didn't invest billions, but he is all over the news. And people I talk to now are aware just because of the personalities involved. So I think it's going to start happening. Forbes has a column covering longevity regularly. And Fiona, can you share with us um, your the hallmarks of aging or the 12 pillars or the framework that you have on um, the Quadroscope website? Um, how did you come up with this framework? And if you can just share a little bit about that to our listeners. So it started, actually, we didn't come up with it. We, okay. we documented it. Uh, it started with Aubrey de Grey's publication back in 2002, where he published seven, what's he called, deadly things, seven things that, that can be fixed that get damaged with age. Now, from these seven things came another paper 10 years later, around 2013, defining seven hallmarks of aging uh, by a different group of scientists. And the, that paper got revised 10 years hence, just this year in, in January, and, ex and these hallmarks got expanded from seven to 12. So, so what are these hallmarks? Uh, they're things that can be fixed that the, that the damage on, the, on these accumulates in, in your body. And so these hallmarks change with age on their own now we can take and, and accentuate them in the lab on animals and, and make the animals older. Or we can treat them and make the animals younger. So these are the aspects of our biology that age change with age. We can use them to make us older or younger. So the, the obviously the last one, making younger, is the most interesting. So they are things like you know, cells that stop dividing, senescent cells, our cells have limited uh, number of divisions, and then they have, they die. Uh, you have stem cells that can make new cells after they die, but stem cells also get exhausted, so stem cell exhaustion is another hallmark. Uh, you've got immune system uh, degradations, um, you've got um, Mitochondrial dysfunction, mitochondria is the organelles in the cells that generate power for the whole body, etc. You have 12 of them, and each of these, uh, and that's basically our understanding of aging. This is how the key scientists, the who is who in the longevity biotech industry, uh, define aging is through these hallmarks. Thank you for that answer. We really appreciate it. One of the companies that I researched um, was is called Nanotics, and their key mission is to deplete negative blood factors versus adding positive ones. Is that something that you also try to? Uh, is that something that interests you? Are you interested in that company? It's a fascinating company. Nanotics is a new generation of medicine. It's, it doesn't add anything into your body like normal drugs. 
it takes, like you said, uh, inflammatory particles, cancer-causing particles out. And uh, it's basically, it's produced using the latest Nobel Prize that we show on our slide uh, called click chemistry. It's, it's, it, it's made, uh, click chemistry is a methodology and it, it's a 150 nanometer particle that can be configured to deplete any number of targets from your blood. They're starting with uh, STNF-alpha. What those are is um, to fight cancer. Uh, cancer likes to camouflage itself. It covers itself up from immune system. It hides where it has immune privilege. And the way immune system identifies cancer cells is, is by some receptors on the cell surface called TNF-alpha. When the T cell, natural killer cell, sees those receptors, it attaches and kills the cells. So what the cancer cells do is they shed these receptors, and the receptors float above them like a cloud, covering them up. And so when immune systems come, uh, cells come, they attack those soluble TNF-alpha receptors, STNF-alphas, in above the cancer cells. They can't see the cancer cells. And so nanos can be configured to go and clear those up, expose the cancer cells for the immune system to kill them. In fact, uh, earlier this year, you guys may have seen the news from Moderna. Uh, and Moderna uh, also used Merck's drug, Keytruda. Keytruda unmasked, similarly to nanos, the cancer cells and Moderna developed a vaccine in, the, in training the immune system specifically. They cured melanoma for the first time. It's big news, it's big announcement. And uh, that happened thanks to Keytruda. But Keytruda is expected to be the best-selling drug this year. But it's, a, again, a blunt instrument. It, it, it um, gets rid of the soluble, the, the TNF-alpha, stuff that floats around the cancer and blocks it, but it also kills the surface, on the cell surface, those receptors, which you don't want to do, because they are markers for the immune system to come and kill the cancer cells. So, so nanotics can do that. They can, they can do it a lot more effectively because they can only clear your blood, uh, the ones floating in the blood. Uh, they have a way to deal with sepsis, so they now are entering clinical trials with three major hospitals, uh, Mass General Hospital, uh, Cleveland Clinic, and uh, Mayo Clinic, and two of them are going to work on cancer and one on sepsis. So for sepsis, there is nothing today. A lot of people die from it needlessly. Uh, and so it's a very, very interesting and very promising New, new generation medicine goes right along with the longevity biotech. That's so exciting, Fiona. Um, you know, we had a another female guest on our show, um, Spring Baruz. She's the CEO of Vincere. And there's one question I wish I had asked her and I didn't. And I want to ask you this particular question. Um, Octoscope, it's a woman-led team. and you're um, the CEO, you're, you've been a CEO, serial entrepreneur, managing partner. As a woman, 
what have been some of your challenges for you navigating um, this male-dominated area? And then also, what do you see as an opportunity for other women in this space? I mean, I, I did feel vulnerable as a young woman uh, in an, in an all-male environment. And after a while, I just realized, you know, people sometimes judge you unfairly, and there's no way for them to know your own capabilities. Only you know, I was telling myself, what you're capable of. There's no way they can know, and so I stopped listening to them, just, uh, you know, you learn over the years to basically say it doesn't matter and, and don't let other people discourage you. Or, and there were a lot of men who helped me. And, and so I would focus on and work with the people who helped me and try to work around the people who were unhelpful. And it just all, it comes down to developing some self-confidence and you just work at it and, and you have to become aware that yeah, you're different, and people are not just not used to seeing women do complex technological stuff, and they will prejudge you, and that's how the world is, and that's the environment I have to function in, and and uh, just forget about them and just go do your stuff, and uh, in 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 most cases, uh, after working together with people who either helped me or didn't help. Most of them came around and we, we found a way to work together and just forgot about all that stuff that doesn't matter, right? You, you have to find people you work well with and uh, I had to build a team So I, at my last company. So that actually helps when you're in a position of that position where you have the ability to surround yourself with the right people. That obviously helps. But to get there, you, it, it was a, a road of self, basically developing self-confidence. This, this is becoming a very inspiring podcast. And you know, I wanna kind of pivot a little bit and just delve deeper into your uh, entrepreneurial experience. What would you have in regard to advice to an entrepreneur um, who's trying who's trying and, and maybe isn't successful or they haven't reached what they believe is success, uh, what would you tell them to keep going? What have you learned in your experience, like valuable lessons to, to share with those who may be trying to explore becoming an entrepreneur themselves, seeing your success? Uh, it's, it's the hardest thing to do, uh, but it's also the most rewarding. So when I left the cushy VC-funded company, azimuth that you brought up earlier i ended up with basically no income just basically i had to go do consulting but it was so liberating even though i had to work much harder i had no income i just had a newborn son and my husband was there taking care of our son so it was kind of a hard time and uh, but it was just i just woke up every morning and did productive work instead of fighting political battles and I were in a company where I wasn't happy. And it's you just kind of learn to deal with these hardships because it's so satisfying. Every day you're doing productive work 
and then gradually I built up my consulting business. There was revenue. Two co-founders came in, and together we grew our consulting business to a million. And we had uh, we had enough means to start developing a product. So we were all product people. We worked together before developing products, and we just kept going. And we tried. Uh, a few directions that didn't work and then we stumbled on something that works. You just have to kind of keep trying. I'd say uh, if at all possible avoid um, kind of losing control and um, because when, uh, when I was at Azimuth I was not CEO and I didn't think it was going to be bad because I I thought, well, he's a good CEO, a Harvard MBA, he knows what he's doing. And then the company ended up going in a direction uh, that didn't, didn't work out that well. And I, I, I had to leave. I, I didn't see it to the end. <laughs> I had to leave before. Uh, and then uh, just having my own control, even though it was hard financially and it was a lot more work, it was just, I was just happy day to day. It didn't matter. A lot of those hardships didn't matter. And true entrepreneurs, I think they, it doesn't bother them. It's like you just go in and that's what you have to do. Kind of like artists, true artists, they do art because it's in them and they have to do it and they can't do anything else, right? So entrepreneurs are like that and you just keep trying and it's gonna be very, very hard and just watch what works. And when you hook up to something that works, it's gonna change, like my uh, business, what I learned changed every year. Like the first year, I had to learn how to sell because my two co-founders weren't gonna sell it. They're engineers, that's what they're good at. So I got the short end of the stick. I had to go and do sales and marketing and I learned it and then we started selling and then all of a sudden sales started growing. Then I had to learn manufacturing and quality and how to, you know, set that up well. And then, then it got so busy I had to learn how to build a team. So every year was a different challenge. And, you know, they should, entrepreneurs should be prepared for it. But the first, of course, you have to find something that people want to pay for. And to me, it's always uh, made sense if people uh, if I don't make money doing technology, then I'm working on the wrong thing, right? Because in technology, you should be making money, maybe not in pure science, or if you're a teacher, you have different rewards. But if you're a technologist, you have to find something to work on that people want to pay money for. That means you're creating value. That's your metric. And to me, that's always been the metric. And so when I got that, I got that. That's what I grabbed onto and stuck to it. And and speaking of money and making money, my next question is around crypto, because um, a lot of our listeners and followers are Dogalon holders. Where do you see crypto in this in the longevity space? Well, I mean, you guys have been great with supporting uh, philanthropy and and ventures with crypto. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous use of it. 
and I hope it comes back. It's certainly, technology-wise, it's the best currency for the world. Um, and uh, it's, it's always politics, right, that, that needs, needs to align with it. Of course, blockchain, everybody knows, will be used in things other than monetary uh, applications. I, I agree. I think it is becoming the best currency. Decentralized is definitely the way to go. Now, do you have any thoughts on uh, the, the, the shiny new baby of AI? Uh, even though AI really isn't that new, uh, it definitely is you know, taking the main stage of, of news at the moment. What do you think about the convergence between AI and biotechnology? I don't think we can get to rejuvenation without it. There is such a torrent of information and data. Uh, human, we humans are not able to deal with it effectively. So we need that help. We need help uh, with machine learning tools uh, to process all the data banks, all the wealth of knowledge we have with the feedback from our omics and all the biometrics. Uh, I, I'm looking at a company uh, that is basically building a human avatar where they can model me uh, very precisely based on my genomics and my health history and all the omics, all of the new biometrics. Uh, error correct and, and they're using machine learning compare, compare me to all the biobanks in the world with millions of uh, other data, and that's machine learning to determine the best uh, treatment for me for longevity, or maybe if I have a disease to treat that, how to prioritize. And let's face it, in a few years hence, our doctors are gonna be computers in the future, right? And they're gonna make decisions based on a lot more data than the human being can process. What a thought. <laughs> so um, here, here's a question. Um, what is your goal when it comes to all the, the research that you're involved in, the companies you're involved in? What is your ultimate goal? Is it to live everlastingly? So right now, uh, well, yes, I, you know, um, here's the deal. You look at the exponential curves, right, where it shows that you're going to die with exponentially increasing odds every year, right? Um, but there's another exponential function. I was staring at that curve, and it occurred to me there's another exponential thing going on here, is that we get smarter at an exponential rate. We get more resourceful. We learn from our experience. We get nicer because we develop emotional intelligence. And so isn't it a shame that as, as we get that accelerated improvement, that we get taken out at that same rate? <laughs> and, and so the, you know, think of how the society will change if more people are allowed to reach that state of exponential improvement where we don't get Alzheimer's, we continue um, to, to get smarter and more resourceful and more capable, and we don't have to retire, we don't have to be a drag on society, right? And so that is, it, it's really something, right? It's gonna change everything, and it's gonna happen because I have full confidence that our scientists will do it. They will, they will tackle aging. Uh, 
and I see so many scientists, so many exciting companies, and I'm investing as much money as I can personally. The fund is one-third funded by me, and um, and so um, I just see that we're choked for money. If, if there was more money flowing into this field, we could have progress so much faster. We could get all these companies funded and working productively. And so that's what I, that's why I started the fund and that's the best way I can enable it. And so my job now is to, to try to tell the world about the science and the business and because you know, there is a lot of money to this, the biggest industry ever. Uh, because all of us over 40 are customers, every single person on earth. And uh, this is where this it's taking off now. It's taking off as we speak. And so we do need, um, we need more money funneled into it. And that's what I can do. Wow. So, so tell us what projects currently you're excited about or involved with. Well, you already mentioned nanotics. Uh, we have an investment into Senolytics company that has a way of enabling immune system to take out only the bad senescent cells. So most Senolytics today are blunt instruments, just like cancer treatments. They kill a lot of cells that you need, that you don't want to kill. But um, deciduous is, uh, you know, has uh, a treatment the way nature intended to fight them. That is the next uh, treatment to low-hanging fruit. Uh, senescent cells accumulate in the body with age, and the ones that need to be killed are the ones that secrete toxic secretions called SAS, senescence-associated secretory phenotype. It is toxic to other cells, and as these senescent cells build up over age, this is, this is uh, causing very bad things to happen, and taking them out has a widespread positive effect on the organism. So that's our next kind of wave of treatments that everybody expects. Then we have a company called Repair Bio that can degrade cholesterol from the arteries to fight atherosclerosis and degrade cholesterol from the liver to fight NASH. And this, uh, this takes some genetically engineered macrophages. So knowing the arteries today, uh, we have macrophages that are supposed to go and clear this cholesterol uh, but we're not perfectly designed. And so these macrophages end up getting poisoned by oxidized cholesterol and they turn into foam cells and they, be, get, they get stuck in this plaque and become part of it. So they become more of a problem than a solution. So Repair has genetically engineered macrophages that have an enzyme uh, that enables them to absorb oxidized cholesterol and not turn into foam cells. So today there is really no way to degrade cholesterol. We have statins that will just reduce the rate at which we accumulate it. And, but there's not, nothing to repair our, our arteries. There's nothing to take cholesterol out of the liver. And so that's, that's another uh, interesting one. We're looking at uh, a lot of new companies that we haven't invested in yet. There's a company in Israel uh, that that can create embryos out of your skin cells. They will take skin cells, turn them back into uh, embryonic stem cells, and, and, and they can assemble an embryo 
without having an egg or a sperm or a zygote, just an embryo that can grow and produce organs. So when we think about repairing ourselves analogous to the car, well, we'll need some spare parts eventually. And that's a way to produce your own organs. It's just fascinating stuff that's happening out there. Total science fiction, but except it's real. Uh, and these are credible companies, amazing scientists. And uh, we just need to uh, raise the fund and uh, deploy that capital. Fiona, that's some exciting research and news that's happening. Um, last question. And um, my question is, what are you currently reading? What is on your nightstand? Or maybe it's not on your nightstand. It could be on your desk. <laughs> so I would say, um, I would say, I would go back to the older book called Ending Aging by Aubrey de Grey. And, I, and there, are some, there are dozens of books uh, on longevity, but that one captures kind of the start of it and the essence of, of longevity biotech. Mm. So that's definitely a, a must read. We appreciate you sharing that. Uh, any websites that people can visit to see about your mission? Uh, let's say they have a, a company that they're trying to develop that you may be interested in. How can individuals find you? Quadroscope.com. Be delighted to uh, speak to uh, folks that are developing companies or anyone who wants to help us raise the fund. Well, you heard it. You heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> we really appreciate you you coming tonight, Fiona. We appreciate learning about your entrepreneurial ventures, your, your lessons for entrepreneurs, your venture um, endeavors has been really incredible, and we look forward to seeing the success of Quadroscope as well too. And also, we all are looking forward to anti-aging research, rejuvenation research, being successful so that ninety can be the new fifty. And that we can reach the apex of, you know, EQ or emotional intelligence, physical fitness, and also just intelligence and health. Health span is what we're looking forward to. So we really appreciate having you here. And we look forward to speaking to you again in the future and seeing how things go for you in the future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Luke and Ashley. Uh, it's been delightful speaking with you. <laughs> well, this is the Elon Devity Podcast. <laughs>